Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I hope your uh, season of Lent is going well and your readings through the Gospel of Mark are encouraging you to become more like Christ. As we examine uh, who is this uh, during this first section of Mark, I I hope you're discovering more and more uh, that Jesus is King and He is worth following, but also recognizing the struggle of fully accepting Jesus as King of your life as you see the pillars of the church, the early apostles, wrestling with Jesus' Jesus's identity. Uh, I hope that as you read through this, you, you find yourself examining your own life and allowing the Spirit to examine you to, to see what faithfully following Jesus looks like in your life. Uh, this week in Lent, I, I want to introduce a prayer practice that involves praying with your imagination. God has given you a beautiful imagination. He is, um, so use it for, uh, to enhance your prayer life. Uh, God, use everything that God has given you to connect with God in prayer. So uh, praying with your imagination is allowing yourself to be drawn into the story, either from one person's perspective or another within the story, one character or another, uh, or just being an observer in the story. There's different ways to do this. Uh, to really go into it, um, you you allow the different senses to take you into the story through you know, through touch and smell, <clears throat> and what what do you see? What do you feel? Um, but really, just even hearing the story from another person's perspective and and how they might be interacting with Jesus, you're kind of getting behind the text a little bit and being drawn into these stories. Uh, in the in my blog that's uh, linked in the show notes, I've actually written uh, kind of a guide uh, for really Monday, Tuesday, and uh, Wednesday. Uh, I write a guide for using your imagination uh, in prayer. And during this podcast, uh, I'm not going to go word for word with what I've written in the blog, but I want to encourage you, if you, if you want to try these this kind of prayer practice out. I've written a little bit of a guide for the first couple of days, but it's really something you can do on your own with these stories to kind of experience them in a different way. Um, this is a way that the that Scripture is living and active, and you're creating space for the Holy Spirit to, to bring conviction out of you. Uh, but what I want to focus on uh, in our reading this week, as we prepare uh, for Sunday together, um, we're going to cover from Monday to Friday, um, Mark chapters 5 through 6. And it's broken down, and you see it in the show notes, the reading for each day. But <clears throat> what we're looking at, and what's been established in the Gospel of Mark up to this point, is Jesus is King. Jesus is the king returned, not just the king that they're anticipating as a new David, but the true king, First uh, Samuel 8, where God is rejected as king, God is returning as king in Jesus Christ. And so we see Jesus' authority on full display. Uh, this, first, this first story is a real jarring story. There's a lot going on in it. Um, I, I want you to imagine Jesus is just calm the winds and the waves on the boat and you're almost going you know out of the frying pan and into the fire because you get to the uh, the other side of the the lake and you're you're getting out of the boat and this 
naked, crazy, bleeding, screaming guy comes running at Jesus and from a far distance he's yelling, Son of the Most High God, in God's name don't torture me. And so you just ask this question, who is this? Uh, this Jesus guy, the one who calms the winds and the waves, and now this crazy lunatic uh, who's naked and bleeding because he's cutting himself and he's dirty and nasty is running to Jesus and throws himself at his feet. And as you're listening to this story, you've got uh, this back and forth of plural and singular responses from this guy as this demon speaks through him. And, and what we're looking at in these stories is, who is Jesus as King? Who is Jesus as Lord? Who is Jesus as God come in the flesh? And he's calling your allegiance and he's calling for you to follow him. And so you see this, uh, this guy uh, go crazy, and there's a lot of stuff to unpack here, but since we've got five days worth, I don't, I don't want to you know, get into the weeds too much. But this is a phenomenal story. Uh, the, the imagery is spectacular. You've got uh, swine herders who are watching from a distance, um, which begs the question, why, why are there pigs nearby? Um, you know, these are not Jews, or if they are Jews, they're ritually unclean because they're, they're swine herders, and they're not supposed to be around pigs at all. But, but the, the crux of this story for me comes down to this guy used to be what he was, naked, screaming, bleeding, crazy guy with just in, unhuman strength to now sitting and in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. And that is more terrifying to the townspeople than, than the very fact that uh, he, he was who he was. And so whatever power is going on in Jesus is more terrifying than, than what was going on in this man. And what I love about this is the, the message that we come out of this is this guy's got a story to tell and he wants to go with Jesus. And you got as a as, <laughs> as a follower of Jesus, as one of the apostles, you gotta be thinking, man, Jesus has called some pretty gnarly people together, and now this guy has come along. And Jesus says, No, you're not gonna you're not gonna come with me. Instead, I want you to go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And, and as followers of Jesus, this is the command that each of us needs to get our minds around, that uh, we need to be able to tell the simple story of, I once was like this, but because of Jesus, now I'm like this. And growing up in the church, uh, especially in the you know uh, '90s, uh, every youth rally we went to, you know, we'd always hear some guy speak about how he was, um, you know, drunk and in a gutter, and someone left a Bible for him. He found Jesus, and then now he's uh, an evangelist or something. And and there's always this great conversion story, and that that's kind of one of the things we're looking at here. Is there's this great um, conversion story of this guy but 
every one of us has a compelling story to share. Uh, every one of us should be able to look over our lives, not, not back 20 years, but back six months. Uh, when you are in a walk with Jesus, you should be ever-changing. And you should be able to say, well, I once was this way, but because of Jesus, now I'm this way. And this is something that I, I want you to take very seriously. Um, get out a piece of paper and think about who you used to be and who you are now because of Jesus. And if you can't think of anything, um, it's not because you haven't changed because of Jesus. You just haven't you haven't developed the the attention to see how Jesus is changing you. And so what I want you want to encourage you to do is start the practice of just writing down, okay, where's an area of my life that looks less like Jesus? And you can do this as a practice every day or every week, looking back over your time during the day or week and say, okay, where where was I more like Jesus this week in ways that I haven't been before? Celebrate that. Or say, where was I struggling to be like Jesus this week or the, today? Um, ask for forgiveness and then be intentional with how you can be more like Jesus the next day. Uh, when you do this, you'll start having stories to tell where, you know, because of Jesus, I, I look at the news and I see the good that's going on behind the bad that's being presented. That in times of war, I see uh, people stepping up and, and I want to join them in the work of Christ. And, you know, anyways, you can find ways to do this. But, but I want to come back to this um, later this year and help us start wrestling with this question of um, how do we tell our story? And so we, we, we go on from the guy who is formerly naked and bleeding and screaming and he's now clothed, clothed in his right mind, and he's got a message to share. And it's the message we all need to be able to share. Because of Jesus, I used to be like this, but now I'm like this. And we move into this next story, uh, the story of Jarius, uh, the story of the the woman who who had the, the, bleed, the issue of bleeding. And there's a lot going on here, but again, this is a, uh, an issue where where Jesus has power over demons, but now he's showing that he has power over uh, over ailments and sickness, and ultimately he has power over death. You know, often we look at Lazarus as the person who Jesus raises from the dead, but he raises lots of people from the dead. This is a grand resuscitation. This is not resurrection. Uh, there is a major difference. Uh, resurrection is you're coming out of death on the other side. Uh, being made completely new. Resuscitation is you're being brought back to life. And so we're looking at this grand resuscitation of Jairus' daughter. And Jesus is on his way, and he feels power going out from him. This woman um, really puts herself on the line, but she's desperate. Uh, she is she is culturally unclean, and by touching even Jesus' cloak makes him unclean, and he has compassion on her, and he celebrates this woman's faith. And this is one of the, I think this is one of the first times in Mark that Jesus celebrates um, anyone's faith, and it's the faith of this woman. 
And I love that he looks at her in verse 34 and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And so you have uh, in all of these bad examples of following Jesus in the apostles, you have this woman who is an exemplar of what it means to chase after Jesus, to push through the crowd, to draw close to Jesus, that you know if you even just barely touch him, you're going to be healed. And so this woman becomes the example amongst all of the bad examples of what it looks like to pursue Jesus, to to risk ridicule, to risk looking ridiculous, to risk being ostracized in society, to truly follow Jesus. And and it's her faith that heals her, which is absolutely incredible. So uh, he gets to Jairus's house and you know these people and by contrast uh Jesus is saying hey the child's just asleep and by contrast to the woman who touches Jesus they laugh at him and so you see her faith on display you see their lack of faith on display and so he doesn't allow them to go into the room but he takes uh he takes the three with him and he goes into the room and he he raises the little girl. And so this is the king you have, the king that calls you into a beautiful existence of following him to to go and see and do great things. In chapter 6 we get into um, this prophet without honor that that you know there's a lot of questions about his authority because they know his history and his past, they know his family. Um but he's doing things with authority. He's doing things with his own authority. Uh, the teachers would always speak on, you know, from other people's perspectives. They'd, they'd talk about the people they studied under, but Jesus uh, speaks with his own authority. And so they take great offense at him um, when they when they say, hey, we know your brothers and your sisters and your mother, and we know your, where you're from. They take... Uh, offense at him, but but Jesus is undeterred, and there's things that uh, about Jesus that we get offended by. Uh, there's things about Jesus that, uh, if we're honest, we 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 can get offended by as well. But I want to keep moving on to uh, Jesus sends out the twelve, um, and he sends them out with authority. And what you're seeing is, you know, this chosen government in his kingdom, if you will, as we've talked about before, that he's he's got the new Israel and he's going to send them out on mission. And when he sends them out on mission, he sends them with authority over the demons and authority over the impure spirits. And while they're out with authority, um, we come to the story of Jesus, of uh, John the Baptist being beheaded, and I, when we look at this story, um, I I want to put in contrast Herod and Jesus, and Herod represents the rulers of this world. He represents uh, when humans have power, they tend to they tend to abuse it. Uh, he's a womanizer. Uh, he steals his brother's wife. Um, Mark really kind of flowers up the scene of what's going on, but it's kind of a, if you know, you know, uh, when, when, the the daughter comes out and dances 
Um, there's a lot more going on there than just, hey, she put on a good routine. Uh, so we won't get into all that. Um, but but she puts on this dance and, and really gratifies his cravings in a way that he's willing to give up half his kingdom or whatever she asks for. And you have this interesting character uh, in Herod who is this womanizing, um, power-hungry uh, ruler who who really is just going to do whatever he wants. And he's really, um, he's really fascinated by John the Baptist because John the Baptist is one of the few people in life who's going to actually speak truth to him. Uh, John the Baptist is... Uh, one of the only people who's going to be real with him. And so he, he kind of hates him for it, but he also is intrigued by him. And, and I think about, man, what does it look like to have that kind of confidence of John the Baptist? But we know how the story goes. Uh, she asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And, and Herod has no, like, just... He cares nothing about life, and he takes his life, and he's he feels conflicted, but really he just snaps his fingers and ends his life. And so by contrast, he's supposed to be the king of the Jews. Like, he is the aspiring king of the Jews. He wants the people to accept him as their king. But by contrast, you have Jesus going off to a lonely place, to, to rest with his apostles, and the people follow him in this section uh, in chapter 6, starting in verse 30. And they follow him to this sol- solitary place, and instead of being annoyed that his nap just got interrupted, Jesus looks out over the crowd and has compassion on them. The, they are a sheep without a shepherd, and so he began to shepherd them. He began to teach them many things. Uh, the imagery going on here is fascinating. The way that they sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties, the way um, the way this is laid out, the imagery is one of um, this is a legion of people. Uh, this is an this is a small army that has come to be with Jesus. That's why it says there are five thousand men. Um, and, the, and they're kind of set into ranks. And so there's this, this idea in Mark that you have the king and his army has come around him. But what kind of army are they to be? Uh, what does it mean to be in the Lord's army? And this is, this is deep imagery in Mark. It's not super obvious when you read it. But, but they're sitting in these kind of files as ranks in the army. And... Jesus then does what? He takes bread, he breaks it, or he gives thanks, he breaks it, and then he gives it to them. And the early Christians, they would have recognized this imagery uh, of, of the army of God coming together. And then God, and then Jesus giving them a blessing Uh, And do you recognize what the blessing is? He broke bread and gave thanks. Or he gave thanks and broke bread. Uh, This is Lord's Supper imagery. That that Jesus is filling them with the grace that comes with the imagery. But but what kind of army are they to be? 
what does the army of the kingdom of God look like? In the world, the army is about violence and death and domination. But what kind of army is Jesus's army supposed to be? The breaking of the bread, the Lord's Supper that we celebrate week in and week out, is the narrative that we live by. It is the celebration of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. This is the, um, this is the story. Death and all of darkness is con- conquered. All demonic forces are conquered. The devil and his army is conquered by the man who is God, who's willing to allow them to do their worst to him. And through sacrifice, uh, through this deep compassion and love, he sacrifices himself so that others may be saved. And that's how he wins the war. And so when he gathers the army around, he breaks bread. He says, "This this is the warfare that you're going to fight. Pick up your cross and follow me. And so all of this is actually building up we're, we're wrestling with this question of, well, who is this? What does it look like to be his followers? And we're going to get to uh, this section uh, in the coming weeks, starting in chapter 8, or the midsection of chapter 8, where what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? And we're going to wrestle with what does it mean to follow Jesus? But as we get to this last section of Jesus walking on water, the the imagery here is the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. We we see Jesus already speaking in, you know, calmness into the chaos of the seas uh, last week, and this week we see his him hovering over the waters, walking on the water, and they see him. He says, "Do not be afraid." And so. As we look at these stories this week, as we build up towards um, towards Sunday, when you break bread this week, recognize that Jesus is host. He's at the table. He breaks bread and he invites you to come and take. He says, I, I want you to, as a citizen of my kingdom, As a soldier in my army, I want you to live out what this meal means. Pick up your cross and follow me. Uh, We have the king we have. uh, The king that, that plays by different rules than the world. And we have to ask ourselves, are we willing... Uh, in the times of chaos and violence and all the things going on, are we willing to follow the king who has authority over everything? Or are we going to pick up our swords and try to take authority ourselves?